My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 115, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 2 Samuel 13 and 14, 1 Chronicles 13 and 14, and Psalms 28 and 60. And just a reminder, the Bible has some adult themes. We'll be experiencing that today. Just wanted to give you the heads up. 2 Samuel 13. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister, Tamar, that he had made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shimei, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, Why do you, the king's son, look so haggardly morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him. Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep herders were at Baal Hazor near the border of Ephraim, he invited all the king's sons to come there. 
Absalom went to the king and said, your servant has had shearers come. Will the king and his attendants please join me? No, my son, the king replied, all of us should not go. We would only be a burden to you. Although Absalom urged him, he still refused to go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon come with us. The king asked him, why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him. So he sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's sons. Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine and saying to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules and fled. While they were on their way, the report came to David, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons. Not one of them is left. The king stood up, tore his clothes, and lay down on the ground, and all his attendants stood by with their clothes torn. But Jonadab, son of Shema, David's brother, said, My lord, should not think that they killed all the princes. Only Amnon is dead. This has been Absalom's express intention ever since the day Amnon raped his sister Tamar. My lord, the king should not be concerned about the report that all the king's sons are dead. Only Amnon is dead. Meanwhile, Absalom had fled. Now the man standing watch looking up and saw many people on the road west of him, coming down the side of the hill. The watchman went and told the king, I see men in the direction of Hornam on the side of the hill. Jonadab said to the king, See, the king's sons have come. It has happened just as your servant said. As he finished speaking, the king's sons came in, wailing loudly. The king, too, and all his attendants wept very bitterly. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Amahud, the king of Jeshur. But King David mourned many days for his son. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. Joab, son of Zerai, knew that the king's heart longed for Absalom. So Joab sent someone to Tekoa and had a wise woman brought from there. He said to her, pretend you are in mourning, dress in mourning clothes, and don't use any cosmetic lotions. Act like a woman who has spent many days grieving for the dead. Then go to the king and speak these words to him. And Joab put the words in her mouth. When the woman from Tekoa went to the king, she fell with her face to the ground to pay him honor, and she said, Help me, your majesty. The king asked her, What is troubling you? She said, I'm a widow. My husband is dead. I, your servant, had two sons. They got into a fight with each other in the field, and no one was there to separate them. One struck the other and killed him. Now the whole clan has risen up against your servant. They say, hand over the one who struck his brother down, so that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed. Then we will get rid of the heir as well. They would put out the only burning coal I have left, leaving my husband neither name nor descendant on the face of the earth. The king said to the woman, go home, and I will issue an order in your behalf. But the woman from Tekoa said to him, Let my lord the king pardon me and my family, and let the king and his throne be without guilt. The king replied, If anyone says anything to you, bring them to me, and they will not bother you again. She said, Then let the king invoke the Lord his God to prevent the avenger of blood from adding to the destruction, so that my son will not be destroyed. As surely as the Lord lives, he said, Not one hair of your son's head will fall to the ground. Then the woman said, Let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. Speak, he replied. The woman said, Why then have you devised a thing like this against the people of God? When the king says this, does he not convince himself? For the king has not brought back his banished son. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. 
But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. And now I have come to say this to my Lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. Your servant, though, I will speak to the king. Perhaps he will grant his servant's request. Perhaps the king will agree to deliver his servant from the hand of the man who is trying to cut off both me and my son from God's inheritance. And now your servant says, may the word of my Lord, the king, secure my inheritance. For my Lord, the king is like an angel of God in discerning good and evil. May the Lord your God be with you. Then the king said to the woman, Don't keep me from the answer to what I am going to ask you. Let my lord the king speak, the woman said. The king asked, Isn't the hand of Joab with you in all this? The woman answered, As surely as you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right or to the left from anything my lord the king says. Yes, it was your servant Joab who instructed me to do this and who put all these words into the mouth of your servant. Your servant Joab did this to change the present situation. My lord has wisdom like that of an angel of God. He knows everything that happens in the land. The king said to Joab, very well, I will do it. Go and bring back the young man Absalom. Joab fell with his face to the ground to pay him honor, and he blessed the king. Joab said, Today your servant knows that he has found favor in your eyes, my lord the king, because the king has granted his servant's request. Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king said, He must go to his own house. He must not see my face. So Absalom went to his own house and did not see the face of the king. In all Israel, there was no man so high praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it and its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. Three sons and a daughter were born to Absalom. His daughter's name was Tamar and she became a beautiful woman. Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. Then Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him to the king, but Joab refused to come to him. So he sent a second time, but he refused to come. Then he said to his servant, Look, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Then Joab did go to Absalom's house, and he said to him, Why have your servant set my field on fire? Absalom said to Joab, Look, I sent word to you and said, Come here so I can send you to the king to ask, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me if I were still there. Now then, I want to see the king's face, and if I am guilty of anything, let him put me to death. So Joab went to the king and told him this. Then the king summoned Absalom, and he came in and bowed down with his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. First Chronicles 13 David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Shehor River in Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the Ark of God from Kirath Jerim. David and all Israel went to Bela of Judah, Kirath Jerim, to bring up from there the Ark of God, the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the Ark that is called by the name. 
They move the Ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kedon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the Ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the Ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obedem with Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David along with cedar logs, stonemasons, and carpenters to build a palace for him. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that his kingdom had become highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. In Jerusalem, David took more wives and became the father of more sons and daughters. These are the names of the children born to him there. Shamau, Shabab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Eleshu, Eliphat, Nago, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Beliada, and Eliphalet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went out to meet them. Now the Philistines had come and raided the valley of Rephim. So David inquired of God, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, Go, I will deliver them into your hands. So David and his men went up to Baal Perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, God has broken out against my enemies by my hand. So that place was called Baal Perazim. The Philistines had abandoned their gods there, and David gave orders to burn them in the fire. Once more, the Philistines raided the valley, so David inquired of God, and God answered him. Do not go directly after them, but circle around them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move out to the battle, because that will mean God has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as God commanded, and they struck down the Philistine army all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. So David's fame spread throughout every land, and the Lord made all the nations fear him. Psalm 28. To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands toward your most holy place. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with your neighbors but harbor malice in their hearts. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done, and bring back on them what they deserve. Because they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord and what his hands have done, he will tear them down and never build them up again. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with the song I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Psalm 60, you have rejected us, God, and burst upon us. You have been angry, now restore us. You have shaken the land and torn it open, mend its fractures, for it is quaking. You have shown your people desperate times. You have given us wine that makes us stagger. But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. 
Save us and help us with your right hand, that those you love may be delivered. God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph, I will parcel out Shechem and measure off the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. On Edom, I toss my sandal. Over Philistia, I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God, you who have now rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. Okay, so today, as I mentioned, adult themes. So yesterday, I I felt like the most fitting title was To See, To Want, To Take, Part 1, A Married King. And here, I feel like it's a parallel story in a way. It's To See, To Want, To Take, Part 2, A Single Prince. So yesterday, we read about David's series of missteps that started with seeing, then wanting, then taking what was outside the bounds of God's law. As Dr. Imes says, the incident could be called adultery only in the sense that both David and Bathsheba were married, but not in the modern sense of consent. The Bible doesn't say so. I don't think it's fair that we say exactly how their their actual coupling went down, but the scripture does make it clear that the blame was placed on David alone by Nathan the priest, by God himself, and by David himself. Isn't it striking that yesterday we read about David, a married king, seeing wanting and taking a married woman, and in this story, David's son, a single priest, sees, wants, and takes a single woman who also happens to be his half-sister and the compounding frustration of David with many wives. So in this story, in a way, Amnon not only took Tamar's present like life situation, but her future in many ways, which Father Mike Schmidt says we feel in her statement that she had no future. And even like her cry to please marry me instead, even though I can't imagine that was completely normal, but maybe. But like, I just, I felt her sense of not wanting, obviously, her future completely shifted. Her culture obviously contributed to her sense of like, this would end her future. But that's not necessarily God's message. When other people don't follow God's law, we read back in like in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, there are protections in ways. So this is a valid feeling, but it is not the kingdom's truth. Father Mike Schmidt says, God makes our future full of hope. He restores, he heals, he can make dead things live. His love, his grace, it has no bounds. She is not disqualified from a future as Father Mike Schmidt says. She is not disqualified from a future. Notice also, David was angry, but he didn't do anything. And Father Mike Schmidt says, We should remember how David has developed a previous pattern of going to God for so many responses and next steps, like, do I or don't I go into this battle? How do I do this? What do I do that? It was just this beautiful patterning out of this close relationship that David had with God and his sense of, I need to respond, so what do I do or not do or how do I do it, to all sorts of situations. And here, nothing. He doesn't go to God. Father Mike Schmidt says David went off mission in chapter 11, and he seems to be staying off the path here. We need to pray for each other so that we can be made whole, resensitized, come back to the mission, the path. That is where our place is that God designed for us. So there are two almost parallel stories basically about seeing, wanting, and taking. For me, there is an important lesson here. I never used to be able to pull the lesson out of the egregious sexual violence and murderous context, which has to be noted. 
But then I remember how frequently Scripture also depicts our relationship with Jesus and God's law. Remember God's law, first commandment, you shall have no other gods but me. It's saying to me, monogamy, fidelity, allegiance. And with Christ as the bridegroom and the church body, the bride, there is frequently this metaphorical relationship between the commitment we make in marriage and to God towards a giving over of our seeing, wanting, and taking to his purposes and will before our own. It's like our filter is through him and what he wants. Meaning, yes, he wants our happiness and brought a lot of wonderful experiences into this created order of things, but none of them are to be taken out of his will and context. It destroys us and others. It breaks God's heart. These stories also remind me of the depths of God's grace. My daughter asked me if it was okay to want things. I thought that was such a good question. I told her yes, but sometimes we cannot have what we want. And if we want things to the point of sickness, I sometimes call it want sickness, which is usually manifested in our time, energy, and thought life, being consumed by something specific to the point that it makes us angry or resentful, and then sometimes we'll even take it because we want it. This has gone way too far. And we need to recognize the signs of our heart and our mind and our time before it gets there. Really check it close to the front, right? One other point of discussion is to consider how to recognize, stay sensitive to when we want things which are not aligned with what God wants for us. How do we stay vigilant to that? And if when we take or see something that we shouldn't have or we see someone else take something they shouldn't have, make sure that we aren't that person that does nothing that we go to God as an intercessor in prayer and that we don't compound anger and shame onto the people that we have hurt ourselves, that we respond to the conviction on our knees in prayer and for his call to action and reaction. The actions have to be guided by the Holy Spirit towards restoration and healing. Not like, oh, if I do all these things, I'll be made better or, or, or whatnot. No, it's only God, his depths of grace that can cover us, can intercede and can guide our actions and reactions when others are hurt, when we hurt others, or when we're the one that is hurt. Mm, So much to think about, but I think there's some really important lessons here. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.